Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for joining us on this 4th of July weekend. We're glad that you're here. And if you're watching online, thanks for choosing to worship with us uh, there as well. Today we are going to be concluding our study in the book of James. And we're going to get to James' final words for us today in our study. But before we do that, I do want to just, just check and see how well you have been listening over the course of this study, okay? If you're here for the first time, you get a pass, but you still get to participate. But I want to just check and see how well you have been doing in terms of just following along with us in our study in the book of James. So we're going to play a little game. And if you're competitive, this is your moment to get a little of that competitive juices going, okay? So here's how this is going to work. We're going to play a little game that we're calling um, Which James Said It, okay? Which James said it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a statement, and you're going to tell, you're going to make a decision on which James actually makes this statement. Are you guys ready? You got it? Okay. Here's the first one. Here's the statement, and then you get to say who, who said it, okay? Here's the first one. You can't teach others if you're living the same way. Was it A, James Madison, B, James Brown, C, James Dean, or D, the book of James? Okay, what's your answer? You got to come up with something. You got to, is it A, B, C, D? What do you guys think? Okay, lots, I heard lots of <laughs> letters out there. Okay, the answer is James Brown. Anybody get that one right? All right, one per, oh, a couple of people. Hey, okay, way to go. Good job. Okay, we still have time. There's some more questions. Here you go. Here's the next one. Who said it? I don't know karate, but I know crazy. Was it A, James Franco, B, James Brown, C, LeBron James, or D, the book of James? Who do you think said it? Oh, man, all sorts of answers out there. Are you ready for the answer? Here it is. James Brown. (laughs) It's too good. I just had to put a second one up there for you. How many got James Brown two times in a row? Or how many got James Brown this last time? Got got, got this one? All right, one or two people I see out there. Good job. Way to go. All right. Um, How about this one? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Was it A, James Monroe, B, LeBron James, C, the book of James, or D, James Dobson? All right, let's see, where you, let's see how you did. The answer is C, Book of James. All right, good job. For those of you who got it, you're like, finally, I got one right. And you've been paying attention. Thank you for, for, for stay, sticking with us in the Book of James. You got it right. Okay, here's the next one. Okay, here's a good one. Your lack of faith is disturbing. Okay, who said it? Was it James Corden? Was it B, the Book of James? C, James Joyce? Or D, James Earl Jones? Who said that? Someone had a strong one out there. You think you got it? What's the answer? James Earl Jones. Who, if you know, he's the voice actor for who? Darth Vader. So all you Star Wars fans, this was for you, okay? This direct quote from New Hope. Here it is. Your lack of faith is disturbing. James Earl Jones as Darth Vader. Okay, next one. Not many of you should become teachers. Was it A, the book of James, B, James Dobson, C, James Buchanan, or D, James Cameron? (laughs) All right. What is it? Book of James. All right. Good job. Way to go. You're paying attention. One last one. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. Was it A, the book of James, B, James Taylor, C, James Franco, or D, James Cameron? What do you got? 
peace. Some of you guys are humming the song right now in your mind. You've got it going. James Taylor, good job. Way to go. Okay. Thanks for participating. Was there any more? Was that, was that truly the last one? I think that was the last one. All right, good. Thank you so much for participating, for following along with us. Um, yes, good job. How many got all of them right? Anybody here get all of them right? Nice. Okay, one, two. Anybody else? Come see me after the service for a prize. It's likely going to be a high five. Good job. Way to go. Awesome. Thanks for paying attention and are just getting lucky. Okay. Today we are going to wrap up our series uh, in the book of James. And really, it won't be a surprise to you. If you've been following along with us over the course of the series, it will not be a surprise to you that today's passage is highly practical, helpful, relevant to our lives. And so with that, I want to get right to it. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible, hopefully you received the handout on your way in here that has the passage printed for you. But I want to invite you to um, turn to that passage And once you find it, let's stand in honor of God's word and we'll read this passage together. So James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, all the way down to the end, verse 20, it says this, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops." My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the air of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. We'll take a look at this together. Uh, Now, if you've been following along with us, you know that James main concern is that we have a growing and maturing faith, and he helps us understand what that looks like practically, Um, and so what that faith and practice is all about. But he's very, very interested in that growing faith. And so in his final words, his instructions here at the end, um, it's no surprise in some ways he's answering the question, well, how does faith work in all of the circumstances of our life? And, and so if you're, um, if you're here, this is what it's about. And it's really the kind of the first, if you're a note taker, this is the first thing that I want you to see, that James is very much interested if we're people of faith that we respond to God in all circumstances. And so if you want to you know, fill in your notes there, it's respond to God in all circumstances. And James is going to start lift, rifling off circumstances. And in every case, if we have genuine growing faith, it's always responding to God, responding to God. And then in James' fashion, he gives practical instruction on how that works and what that looks like in our lives. I think it will be very, very helpful. So then looking at verse 13, This is where he starts. He says, here's the first circumstance. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. So this is where he starts. Anyone among you in trouble? Now that word trouble, when we look at the word trouble, sometimes we look at trouble and we think, oh man, I got in trouble and and now I'm going to pay for it. So that's kind of how we sometimes see it. And if that's your case, if you're here and you got in trouble and you're like, ah, I'm struggling, then James says pray. 
That's what we ought to do. But the word trouble is even more than that. In the Greek, it means in distress. So it encompasses even more than just I got in trouble, but anything that troubles you. What's causing you um, uh, distress in your life that you're needing relief from? And so that's a broader picture of it. And James' response is if anything that's troubling you, if you're in trouble or you're distressed, let them pray. And so if you want to fill in the notes, if you're a note taker, again, it's this. If you're in trouble, then pray. The response then is to pray. So again, because it's in distress, it's anything. Are you distressed by um, anxiety in your life? Are you, are you distressed by uh, challenges physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, whatever it might be that's distressing you, that's causing troubles in your life? The response that James is telling us to do is to look to God. If we have true faith and trust in God, who's sovereign and control and can even work in the midst of those circumstances, it makes sense that we pray to him, which is very similar to the encouragement that the apostle Paul gives to us in Philippians chapter four. Maybe you're familiar with this. It's, a, it's an incredible passage. This is what, listen to what Paul says. He says this, do not be anxious about anything, but what? In every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So your, all circumstances, we're to go to them with God, present them to God. And here's the great promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? I cannot read that passage enough in my life. How about you? Then in all circumstances, James and Paul are both saying the same thing. In all of your circumstances and all your distress and all of your anxiety, guess what? We have a God who's relational and a God who's saying, come and talk to me. We can present those requests to him. We can bring them to him in conversation. He cares, he listens, and he promises peace. This is good news. And so this is what James is saying. Listen, if you have a growing faith, then demonstrate it, practice it, look to God in those moments of struggle. But it's not just the moments of struggle, but it's also the moments of joy and celebration. That's the next part of this verse. It says, is anyone happy? That's the next point. Is anyone happy? Let them do what? Sing songs of praise. So if you're a note taker, you're happy, guess what? The, the, the response is to sing songs of praise. So on the one hand, we're struggling, we pray. The other hand, we're happy, we're, we're celebrating, we're praising. Those are the responses. Again, it's a responsiveness to God. And this is why, by the way, um, worship is such a vital part of what we do when we come together on the weekend. It's a prescribed response to God. When we're, when we're happy, when we're celebrating, when we worship, it's saying, God, um, it's um, me giving my prayers to you. It's me processing. It's me remembering. It's me re- and not forgetting the fact that things are good and it's all because of me. But it, all the, every good and perfect gift comes from who? From above. From the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadow. So it's a reminder as we praise, God, it's because of you that I'm that I'm happy, that I can celebrate. It's your goodness. And it's all these things are from him. So that's part of the responsiveness to God. We're in trouble, we pray. We're celebrating, we're happy, we praise. We sing um, praises. It's, a, it's, an, it's an incredible um, uh, part of how we're to respond to God. Then um, next verse says this, if anyone among you is sick. So now he's gone from trouble to happy to sick. So another circumstance that we can find ourselves in, very common, here's the answer. Here's what he says. Let them come to the elders of the church to pray over them. 
So here's the third circumstance that James is talking about in which we're to be responsive to him. And, and this, this, this uh, circumstance is going to need a little bit of um, further explanation. He gives some very practical um, encouragement to us, too, on this and how, how we're to respond to God in the midst of sickness on our struggle physically. So let me just uh, share a couple of um, observations as we go along in this verse, in the next couple of verses. So the first observation that I want you to see is it says, if you're sick, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to, yeah, well, you're supposed to share it with other people. You're supposed to initiate to share with other people. It says, call on the elders. And we'll talk about who those are and what that looks like. But the first thing that I want you to see is that if you're sick, you share it with people so they can pray for you. So listen, all you stoic people here in the room, it is okay in fact, it's encouraged, it's instructed that you share with other people so that they can know your needs and they can pray for you. That's the first thing that I want you to see. It's okay to allow others to know what's going on in your life, how they can pray for you. So that's, a, that's the first thing. Then he says, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. So the question you may have is, well, what's an elder and who are the elders? And so let me just take a moment and talk about that. In the Bible, when it talks about elders, it's also used as pastor. So an elder or pastor. So it's the spiritual leaders of the church. And on our, in our church, we have pastors on our staff. We also have elders who are, are not paid. They're volunteers. But their role as elders in our church is to provide spiritual oversight, care, and accountability for me and for our church. And I'm very grateful for every single one of them. They're an amazing group of guys, and they're the elders, the spiritual leaders of our church. And so that's who they are. Now, the question you may have is, well, does it, can, can, can't anybody pray for someone who's sick? You bet. Anyone can pray. We'll talk about that a little bit later in this passage. But, but specifically, if you're sick, it's okay and good, and, and James is encouraging you to let the spiritual leaders of the church know so that they can pray for you. So he's saying, go to the elders and uh, share with them so that they can be praying for you. And here's a simple way that you can do that. Fill out a communication card. You know that? When you fill out that communication card and there's that prayer spot for the prayer request, we collect those, whether it's in the baskets or the boxes in the back, and our staff, our, our prayer team, and our elders, they pray over those requests. And so it's a simple way for you to participate with that. The question is, well, in this passage, it says they're to call the elders and the elders to come to the sick person. Is that always the case? I think that the instruction here is instructions for someone who is so sick they can't go to the elders themselves. Because in the first century, it would be unthinkable for someone who's sick to say, um, hey, elders, you need to come to me. If they're able, they would have gone to the elders and the leaders of the church and said, can you pray for me? But this person is probably so sick and unable to go that they call the elders to come to them. And what I love about our pastors and our elders, and I've seen them do this over and over, is reach out to people, go to people who are unable, and to care for them, pray for them. But the invitation generally is, hey, you're sick, come to us. Let us know how we can pray. Otherwise, we won't know. And so the invitation is come. In fact, by the way, at the end of every service, if you've been here for very long, you know at the end of every service, we invite you. If you're here, you need prayer stick around after the service. We have volunteers that stay up to the front of the stage and are willing to pray for you. If you have taken us up on that offer and you've come up here and, and allowed someone to pray for you and your needs, it's very likely that it was one of our elders and their spouses that was praying for you. 
because they're the ones that are always saying, hey, we want to pray for the people in this church. We care about them. We love you, and I love that. We also have wonderful volunteers that join in with that team because we don't want to miss anybody who are just people in our church who love the church and love people, and they want to pray for you, and I'm grateful for that. One of the things that I'm just, I've been so encouraged by in this church and coming here is the desire of people in this church to pray for others. I love it. And I've been encouraged by it personally, and I love watching our pastors and our staff and the leaders of this church reach out to people, pray for them, care for them, and it's a wonderful thing. And James encourages it. He's saying, listen, you're sick, come, allow people to pray for you. So it's not just that he says, call the elders and have them pray for you, the spiritual leaders of the church. But then he says an interesting thing here in verse 14. He says, and anoint them with oil. You're thinking to yourself, well, what is that all about? You know, I get the prayer part, but the anointing with oil, how, what's, that, what's, what's that look like? And so let me just take a moment and, and give a little explanation. Uh, hopefully it makes sense, but I'll just tell you how I interpret this. The word to anoint in, in the New Testament there's two uses for the verb to anoint. There's a, a ceremonial uh, anointing, and then there's a practical anointing. And you'll see that in the, in the, in the scriptures. So a ceremonial or s- symbolic anointing is like, for instance, if a king is about to be crowned or brought into uh, that role of being a king, they would anoint them with oil. And it was ceremonial. It was symbolic that they were being anointed for this unique role um, in, in, in this, uh, in the, in, for, the, for the people. And so there was a ceremonial, symbolic anointing for a unique role that they were playing. So that's one way that it's used. Another way that to anoint is used is, uh, is very practical. Um, and in practical in sense of there's an anointing for uh, medicinal purposes, that oil was used as a, a medicinal salve in, in um, circumstances in the New Testament. And do you see that very clearly in um, the story of the Good Samaritan, for instance? Maybe you're familiar with the story, the Good Samaritan of the, of the guy who was traveling uh, to Jericho. He was uh, uh, jumped by robbers who beat him, um, left him for dead, and people t- walked by, walked by until the Samaritan saw him and stopped and cared for his wounds and his needs and nursed him back, had him, had him nursed back to health. But in, in that passage, Luke chapter 10, look what it says, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. So the question is, is he pouring on oil as a ceremonial thing? Or is, a practical, uh, is it a practical anointing? I think it's practical. I think the wine is there to disinfect the wounds, and the oil was very commonly used in the New Testament for medicinal purposes. And also, by the way, the pa- it may not surprise you, the pastors, the leaders of the church, were oftentimes cared, called on to care for the needs of the people in their congregation, the people in the church, and not just spiritually, but medicinally. They would go and they would pray for people, but they would also be, at, you know, kind of doing rudimentary um, medical practice at the same time. We see that still around the world and in rural places where the kind of the pastors, the jack of all trades, has a little bit of all those skills, and they're caring for people at the same time. That's what's going on here in this place. And so I see the anointing of oil as a very practical medical side. So, the, so in terms of what to do if you're sick, well, here's what you're to do. You're to pray, uh, pursue prayer, and also medical treatment. Then I think both things are to be done. 
that James is saying the elders, the leaders, the, the shepherds of the church are there to pray for you, meet your, care for your spiritual needs, but also be aware of the physical needs at the same time. And I think this is helpful because it keeps us from, uh, helps us avoid two extremes. One extreme is you see a sickness and you only treat it spiritually. The other extreme is you see a sickness and you only treat it physically or medically. But James is saying you do both. It's spiritual and medical. So James would probably say to us, hey, it's not prayer. He would say it's prayer plus a physician, not prayer or a physician. Does that make sense? So that's what's going on here. He's saying, listen, you do do both. And you say, hey, this is is really truly how there's, there's... really abuses that go on either extreme, but he just simply, hey, pray, and then also seek medical treatment at the same time. Then what I want you to see at the end of this verse, it's so important because it, 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 it kind of brings it all back together. It says, you pray over them, anoint them with oil, in what? In the name of the Lord. So the whole time we're being responsive to God, whether we're praying or we're seeking physical medical um, treatment, we're recognizing that we're submitting to the sovereign will of God that we're responding to him in faith in, 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 both, in both ways. And so that's, that's what I think is so important for us to see. But then he goes on, in verse 15, he goes on to continue to talk, and he says this, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise them up. And so this verse has raised a lot of questions for a lot of people over the years, so let me just take a moment and talk about it um, briefly and just uh, share a couple of things. The first thing is, many people have read this question, read this verse, and have asked the question, well, wait, does this mean that if, um, if I have enough faith, I will be healed? And the other side of it is, conversely, if I don't have enough faith, does that mean I won't be healed? So that's the question that many people have wrestled with when they come to this verse. And here's what I want to do, and I just want to point one thing out, then we'll take a little deeper look at a few things, but I'll just point out this. In this verse, who is it that's supposed to be having the faith for the, in terms of the healing? Is it the sick person, or is it the person that's praying over them? Good. I think it's both, but I think in this case, he's talking to the elders of the church, and they're saying the prayer, or the spiritual leaders, prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. So the reason why I point this out is, is I think it's the person that the, the faith prayer is the person who's making the prayer. Um, because and I, the reason I point this out is because I, I know that sometimes in certain scenarios, um, you could run into Christians who will say to you, well, if you're not healed, um, it's because you, sick person, didn't have enough faith. And I think that can be very damaging and, in fact, abusive. And so I just, I want to be very cautious about it because I think there's faith healers who present themselves as like, hey, we're, we'll, you know, we'll pray for you. And if you don't have enough faith, then it's, it's on you. No, this, James would say it's on the person who's the faith healer, the person who's saying, hey, I'm praying and I'm praying in faith. So I just think that that's just a caution when you run into certain people and say, well, it's, you're not healed because of your lack of faith. And just, just be very, very careful, especially for the person who is sick here. Now, the other thing that I'll, I'll just ask, kind of answer, which is that first question, which is, well, does God always heal when we pray to him to heal the sick person? And the answer to that is no, he doesn't. In fact, Jesus, if you look at his earthly ministry, there's many people during his earthly ministry that he healed. But there's many people that he walked by that he didn't heal physically, that is. And so 
so it's just important that we, we recognize that. God can heal, and sometimes He'll heal people who are physically sick, and He'll do it miraculously. Sometimes He'll do it medically, and sometimes He'll do it eternally, ultimately. There, our bodies are, are healed, or, or we are healed. And so there's just different ways that God's work it works. And so it's important that we see that, because I know that sometimes people say, well, how come we don't see the, the, the miraculous stuff as much? You know, or I've, heard, I've sometimes run into people who say, how come we don't see all the miracles like we saw in the early church in the book of Acts? And I would just, my response to that is, I still think we do. I think we have a God who does heal and can heal and can do the miraculous. In fact, when you look at the book of Acts, you look over the trace of the, the book of Acts, there's around 30 uh, recorded miracles and over, th- over the course of 30 years. So you step back and you take that proportionally. In our world today, God is doing so much more miraculously in people's lives, touching people's lives, healing, doing, doing great works that we see. So God still is at work. He can and he does work. Um, but does it mean that just because we pray, he must do what we say? No. And so there's two extreme errors that people can fall into. Some people can say, well, God doesn't heal anymore. That's one extreme. And there's the other extreme that says God must heal um, at all times when we ask him to. My response is God can heal, so let's pray and see what he does. Does that make sense? And I think it's just simply saying, God, you're God, we're not. We're not the ones that tell you what to do, um, but we can present our request to you. And God, we know and, and believe you are capable. So we're just going to pray and see what you do. Um, and the, I think that just helps us with that. So it's just important we see that. So then after, after this conversation, this part of the, the statement where God, the prayer offering of faith will make the well, sick person well, the Lord raises them up. Again, it's all in God's hands. Then he stops, continues in this verse, and he says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, this is interesting because he's just gone from talking about the sick person to sin. And there's a link here because you're saying, well, he's talking about sick, and now he's saying, if the sick person has sinned, they'll be forgiven. Why is he talking about, you know, sickness, now sin, now forgiveness? And to understand that, again, I need to give a little bit of some theological principles when it comes to the connection or correlation between sickness and sin. So just for a moment, I'll just mention a couple things. First of all, all sickness and suffering is a result of sin, the fall, the curse. You read about it in Genesis chapter 3. When, the, when sin entered the world, it, it was broken. There's the fall. And as a result of that, there's sin and there's suffering and there's, there's sickness in this world. And that won't, we won't see relief from that until the Lord Jesus returns. And may he return soon. Um, but right now, we live in a broken, fallen world, and as a result of that, there is sickness and there is sin. Now, most of the time, usually, if there's sickness, it is not connected to your personal sin. So if you're per- there's personal sin, it does not connect to, your, to, sin, uh, to the sickness in your life. And so um, that, that's just that's just a mystery. We don't know. There's not a direct correlation. We just live in a broken world, fallen world, and there's sickness and there's suffering as a result. But sometimes there is a connection or a correlation between our sin and our sickness. And we, we see that in some different ways. Physically, um, when our sin can break our bodies down physically. And so, for instance, I just, it's, it's not hard to point out how this takes place. When 
God in his word has given us his instructions, his will, and, he's, uh, and he says, hey, here's what, here's what you need to do or not do. And we're like, yeah, right. Just watch me. I'm going to do whatever I want. Um, there are at times physical consequences to that. So for instance, in the Bible, it says, do not be drunk with wine. Don't, don't get drunk. But if you live a life of continual excessive drinking, guess what? It's going to break your body down. There's, there's the scriptures that talk about our body and, and, and uh, it's a temple and to care for it. And, but if we ignore all nutrition and all care for our bodies, it's going to have some physical impact on our condition. Um, the Bible talks about, you know, uh, chastity before marriage and fidelity once you are married. And if you ignore that, there is a very high probability there's physical consequences as a result of that. So there's, there is connection in, in those ways. But it's not just physical. It can be emotional. It can be spiritual. Um, the, King David, when he was hiding his sin, when he's talking about it, he says, when I hid my sin, my bones wasted away. It, there was a physical um, breakdown as a result of the sin that he was hiding his life. So James is simply saying, listen, if there's sin going on, then come and ask for prayer as well because God can forgive. And so whether it's sickness or sin, we come and respond, we respond to God because we have a faithful God who's able to bring healing to our lives and able to bring forgiveness into our lives when we need it. And that's the response of faith to, to the Lord in that scenario. Now, he goes on in verse 16 to continue to talk about the sin situation, the circumstance in our life. This is what he says in verse th- uh, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So, the next thing that he's talking about is uh, confessing and uh, praying. And confessing, by the way, is, is simply agreeing with God that, yeah, what I did was wrong. Only God can heal. We're not confessing to people so that, sorry, only God can forgive. We're not confessing so that, you know, we receive forgiveness of our sins. Only Jesus can do that. Um, but there's a confession that we do, agreeing with God, I was wrong, and we share it with others so they can pray for us, and there's healing in that. And that's what he's getting at. Now, what I want you to see, again, uh, I think the response that I want you to see, in sin, confess and pray. In sin, confess and pray. But I want you to see here in verse 16, there's a shift. He's no longer talking about the elders or pastors. Like if there's sin in your life, you need to confess to a, a, a pastor or an elder. You can, and that can be a good thing because you'll also receive care and, and prayer. But in this, in this verse, it's shifted because who's he saying that we're to confess to and, and pray with? Each other. Look at that. It says confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So this is a shift, and it's a shift. It's a talking to the church. And he's saying, listen, church, you're to do this with one another. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, you're familiar that over 50, you know, 56 times it talks about one another, that as a church we're to um, love one another, serve one another, forgive one another. This is another one of the one another's, that we're to confess our sins to one another. Because in that there's healing and there's growth, and it's good for us to do spiritually. And here's, here's the deal. I just, I just um, think it's so good for us to recognize that as a church, this is what we want. We, don't, we want to be a place where you can come and you can say, I've I'm, I'm got sin in my life. Because the, the question isn't, are you a sinner? The answer is, yes, you are. We all are. The, the question is, are you an honest sinner? That's the better question, right? 
And so the confession and the prayer is just simply saying, I'm being honest about who I am and the struggles that I have, um, and I'm sharing that so others can pray for me and so I can find healing and growth and transformation. But here's where the rubber meets the road, because this is a challenge, isn't it? This concept of confessing to other people. And let me give you three reasons why I think we struggle with this, this, this part of the one another's, confessing to one another so that we might be healed. There's, there's th- you know, give, I'll give you three reasons. The first one is this, uh, pride. None of us wants to admit that we aren't perfect, that we struggle that we have secret sins, that we're, we're, de- we're dealing with stuff in our life. And so what we want to do is put up masks. We want to put up a facade. We want to put up, hey, I'm good. I've got it all together. And we don't, our own pride doesn't want to just reveal the fact that, hey, yeah, we're, we're, I'm struggling with, with sin in my life. The second thing is we're, we struggle with confessing because we're concerned that we won't, and it happens even with Christian circles and in the church, where people aren't very gracious with us. If I share this, they're not going to be gracious. They're going to condemn me. So no thank you. I don't want to confess stuff and be judged and condemned and not be met with grace. So there's the pride part, and then there's also the people part. They're like, how are they going to receive me? And then there's the third one, which is just the way that we set up church doesn't always allow for this to take place very well. Because here you are on a Sunday morning, and you're all seated in rows, and there's one guy talking to you. So that doesn't really set up a great environment for you to be able to confess your sins to one another, does it? And receive healing. So here's what we're going to do today. When I'm done, I'm going to pray. We'll sing a song. And after the song, we're just going to take turns one by one. We're going to give you a chance to come up on stage here uh, and just share your deepest, you know, struggle, sin struggle in your life right now, okay? Who would like to volunteer to go first? Okay, <laughs> one or two of you. All right, you're very brave. The rest of us are like, no thanks. Why would we not want to do that? Because we don't know each other. There's a bunch of strangers in this room, and that would just be weird to start just saying stuff maybe to a bunch of people you don't know. And so doesn't always set up very well the way that we do church in this scenario. Now, it's important, as good as this is, and it's important that we come together corporately to gather, to engage with God, to worship, to respond to His Word. It's critical, and it's, it's, it's essential. But in the first century, do you know that the early church, what they did, they would come and they would gather corporately, they would worship in the synagogues, but they would also meet in homes regularly, not in rows, but in circles. And they would meet with people that they knew well, that loved them, that cared for them, that they shared life with, and they talked about their struggles, and they could be um, met with grace and care and prayer and people walking alongside of them. That is why, as a church, we value life groups so much, why we value support groups so much, why we encourage you to get into a smaller group so that you can begin to build relationships with people who you can, be, you can learn to have trust with, that you can learn to care for and have them care for you, that you can begin to say, hey, I'm going to be more vulnerable and honest with you. And they're saying, yes, I'm going to be more vulnerable and honest with you. And we now have people who want to pray for you, care for you, and support you. But it doesn't happen in the big setting. It happens in the small setting. It happens in those circles, in those relationships. All of us need to have people who we can be honest with. One or two people, a couple of people, a handful of people that we can be, uh, we confess to. And we won't be judged, we'll be loved, we'll be cared for, 
we'll be prayed for, we'll be challenged when we need to be challenged, and we'll have someone to say, I'm walking with you in your struggle. We all need that, don't we? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, listen to this statement. He said this, many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone in our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. He who is alone with his sins is utterly alone. That statement is true, isn't it? The burdens that we carry, if we're the only one that knows them, or the only one that carry them, we're utterly alone. But God has designed us to be in community with people, to be relationally connected with other people who are sinful and struggling and get it and are going to say, I'm going to walk alongside you and together we're going to be responsive to God by faith and say, hey, let's keep, you know, keep running the race that, that, that Christ has marked out for us together. That's what we need. And I, 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 I want that for all of you. I want you to come to our church, worship with us, engage with us, but I want to get you in a group. I want you to get with relationships with people who, that you can have that kind of a relationship with. Otherwise, you are utterly alone. Now, he continues to go on, and um, this, what I want you to see next is, is the fact that he's, he's been talking about these different circumstances, and he's been pointing us to pray, pointing us to praise, pointing us to have, invite people to pray over us, pray for forgiveness, confess our sins, pray a prayer, prayer, right? Then he stops and says, I want you to recognize it's not just some spiritual religious act, that it, it, but it's, it has genuine power. So he wants us to recognize the power of prayer. We see that. Look at verse 16 again. It says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Isn't that great? That when we pray, there is powerful and, there, and, it's, and it's effective. And, and it's not just some ritual. It's a reality that God, we are inviting God to do a great work, a work that only he can do. I don't know if you know this, but every single Sunday morning, we have a group of uh, people who come early uh, to church, and they pray together. There's the per- people who serve, and they pray together, but then there's also a group that meets even before that that just come every single Sunday. They pray over you. They pray over our church. They pray over the leaders of the church. Um, they pray over whoever's teaching that morning that God would uh, be with them and bring clarity to the message. And it's a beautiful thing. And Kevin, one of the leaders of that group, constantly reminds the group, hey, what we're doing here matters. What we're doing here matters. Prayer is powerful and effective. And you know what? Those, that group would not be showing up every Sunday morning if they didn't believe it. And I just think it's so very, very powerful. So um, he says, listen, the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Then he goes on to give an example. He says, let me show you. And with Elijah, verse 17, Elijah was human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So he's talking about how Elijah, um, God did the miraculous through his prayers, But I love that he began with the fact that Elijah was a man. He was just human like you and me. The power wasn't in Elijah. The power is in the God he's praying to. Do you get that? And it's just an invitation to you, to me, to say, hey, don't just see it as some religious thing or like, oh, I'm not very good at it or I just don't know how to pray. It's just pray because God invites us to come to him so that he can do a work. I don't know where I picked this up, some quote many years ago, and I've just held on to it because it's been meaningful to me. But I heard someone say, um, 
this, and again, it stuck with me, it's this. When I work, I work. But when I pray, God works. Do you hear that? When I work, I work. But when I pray, God works. And it's been a reminder to me to say, yeah, God, I need you to work. There's so many things that I want to just tackle it, deal with it, work on it on my own, but I need to be reminded that's just me working. And it's okay, but, but God invites us to come to Him so that He can do a work that only He can do. And I love the fact that as a church, there are so many people here who pray faithfully, consistently for God to work. In fact, it's one of the most encouraging things that as I've come into this church, the amount of people who um, pray, like I said, the, the, the group that comes early to pray, the, the pastors who pray, the staff, the people in this church, I have been more encouraged by just the desire of this church to pray and see, to see God work. And I love that. And I, I don't know if I've ever been in a, a ministry context where I've had more consistent prayer if for me in my life by a church or, 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 or for the church itself that I've just kind of witnessed. It's just really encouraging and impressive, and I just love it, and I hope it never goes away. I hope that we constantly say, yeah, we're a people of faith, but not faith in ourselves, but a faith in God who can do a great work. And, that, and that's so important for us to see. That's what he's getting at here. But it's not just that. There's another, there's the last two verses here that are so important. I don't want you to miss it. This is what he says. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, uh, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. If you're a note taker, here's the final principle that I want you to see is to remember people who need restoration. I love that James ends here. You know throughout this whole book, he's been interested in helping us have a growing faith, have, knowing what it looks like practically. But at the very end, as much as he wants us to have a growing faith, he stops and says, but don't forget the people who have wandered from the faith. Don't forget those who have strayed away. And I just think there's just something powerful about that. Because he's saying, I want you to grow. I want you to have a faith. But you know what? The reality is sometimes, and we all have those people in our lives that they've strayed They've wandered. He says, don't give up on them. What a great way to end. And notice there in that last verse 19, what he, what he says, but also what he does not say. It says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander, stray away from the truth, someone's maybe grown up in the church or heard the good news and they've walked away from it or they strayed away. Um, he's saying, listen, if uh, someone should wander away from the truth and someone should what? He doesn't say by the way, we'll get to what he does say, but what, is he, what he does not say is, he does not say you should condemn them. You should shut them out, mock them, ignore them, gossip against them. What does he say? He said, bring them back. Isn't that the heart of God? The heart of God that says, hey, He's, the heart of God is for the least, the last, and the lost. He's going after us, and many of you are recipients of that. You have wandered away at some point, and by God's grace, He's put people in your life who have loved you unreasonably. Because of the grace of God in their life, they've loved you unreasonably, and it's helped you find your way back to the truth. And that's what James is saying. Be people who go after others who have wandered away care for them, bring them back. And as a result, you help save them from so much damage 
and the struggle and the sin of continuing to be outside of the truth. And so he's just simply saying, don't ignore, don't stop. He's saying pray, but prayer does not mean be passive, by the way. Do you realize that? It's pray, 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 but now pursue, pursue, pursue people who matter to God. God hasn't forgotten them, and we shouldn't either. So when we get those things, it, it just, it's, it, it matters so much. And so I, I need to stop because I need to give you a couple applications before we go, but I'll come back to this here in just a moment. Let me give you a couple of applications for you to take away before we go. The first application is this, right from the passage, respond to God in your circumstances. You're, you're in trouble, pray. You're uh, happy, praise. You're sick, you know, pray and pursue people who to pray for you and, and just on and on. In all your circumstances, whatever your circumstance is, say, God, I've been doing this on my own. Maybe I need to stop and look up and be responsive to you. What does that look like for me? What would I, can I do today to show my responsiveness to you, my faith in you in the midst of my circumstances that I'm dealing with right here, right now? Second one is this. Allow others to pray for you. Don't hold it in. Allow others, invite others, allow us as a church to pray for you, to share with others. James is saying, don't keep it to yourself. Let people know your needs so they can care for you and pray for you. Third one, find people to be honest with and who will pray for you. Find people that you can be honest with and who will pray for you. All of us need people that we can be honest with and will will pray for you. Some of you have people in your life that you can be honest with. You know, I can just be honest with that person in my workplace. We've just built, developed a good friendship, all that. We can just, I can tell them pretty much anything. That's great, but will they pray for you? Are they going to challenge you spiritually? Are they going to come alongside and say, hey, you know what? You've, you've struggled. You're straying from the truth. I want to pray for you and I want to walk with you so we can get back on track. We need both honesty and also the prayer, the, the pursuing God together to partner with us in that. So we need those people. Um, and that's why we encourage, encourage, encourage community with God's people. Third, fourth one is this. Reach out to someone who has wandered. This is an application for right now today. When I talk about people who have strayed, people who have wandered, my guess is you have people that come to your mind. Maybe lots of people, but maybe just hone in on one or two today. That sometime today, you send them a text message. You give them a call. You say, I'm thinking about you. How are you doing? That you reach out to them and say, hey, it's been a while. Can, can, I, you know, can I meet you for coffee? Just want to know what's going on in your life. Invite them over for a meal. Who is it that has wandered away that, that is on God's heart and he's putting it, them on your heart too? And it's been too long and it's maybe time for you to say, I gotta do something. I wanna pursue. If I could be involved in what God wants to do, which is bringing people back to the truth and saving them from so much hurt and damage from being outside of God's will. So who is it that God's putting on your heart? Pray about it, but then do something pursue them, bring them back. COVID knocked so many people around spiritually and all over the place. And there are people that you know and love who have just, are just stuck. And maybe you could be that person that just says, hey, I'm still thinking about you. You're not lost on me. You may not be going to our church anymore. You may not go to any church anymore, but you're not lost on me. And you're not, because you're not lost on God. And I want to reach out to you, pursue them, care for them, love them. Let's take a moment and let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you again for how practical it is. 
or how helpful it is. And Lord, I know that there are people here in all variety of circumstances, in distress, who are celebrating and experiencing great joy and victories, others who are sick, struggling with sin, so many different things, God, in all these circumstances, Lord, help us to be reminded that that you're available to us and that you invite us to come to you in prayer, to do a work that we can't do on our own. And so we ask that you would do that in our lives. Bring us the peace that you promise. We ask, Lord, that you'd bring forgiveness where we need forgiveness, bring healing where we need healing, bring the community into our lives where we need community, and Lord, help us to be um, your people, your ambassadors to those who are lost, but also those who are just wandering and need to be brought home. So God, we just ask for your power, your strength. We look to you with confidence because of who you are and all that you've done for us. In your name, amen.